and welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast, episode 31. Really excited to welcome Matt Derry to the show this week. We'll be getting to the interview soon, just a really quick introduction. It's also, this this week was a Skype interview. He's, Matt's, Matt's located in Detroit. I actually went to high school with Matt. And don't worry, I'm, we're not going to tell any boring high school stories. But I did think, and I was correct, that Matt would be a really interesting person to have on the show. And I thought because I think sports is, is really being impacted by social media. Matt's well-known in the Detroit area, and even Cleveland, for being a sportscaster. He did a lot of pre-shows, post-shows for the, for the Lions, the Pistons, and also called a lot of the games. He went to broadcasting school in Syracuse, which is one of the maybe top five, top ten broadcasting schools in the country. Maybe even the best one, I'm not sure. But... I think social media is having an impact on on our athletes actually today. And I thought Matt would be a really good person to talk to about it. And I was correct. So I think, you know, because he brought he told this story about where a lot of athletes during halftime are actually looking at their phone and at Instagram. And I think what's so scary is, you know, people can tweet at just about anybody. And I think I bring up this story during the interview. There was this kicker for the Chicago Bears, I forget his name, but he had a chance to take the Bears to the next round these, this, during this last year's playoffs, and he missed the field goal at the buzzer, and they lose the game. And so thousands of people turn to Twitter and basically tell this this kicker to fuck off, and say, and they say all these terrible things about him, and, and it's, it's really a pretty scary world to think that just about anybody has access to you or could tweet at you or message you message you on Instagram. And, and Matt tells a lot of interesting stories about athletes and how a lot of them will look at their phones during halftime and teams are hiring social media consultants. So um, I, I don't know. It's a really exciting and fun interview. So yeah, I just wanted to just give a quick background um, on, on the interview. And thank Matt again for coming on the show. You can Matt's actually not on Instagram, which is hysterical, but he is on Twitter. Um, tw- that's sort of his go-to when it comes to social media. He can be found at Dairy Speaks. That's D-E-R-Y and then Speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S. So definitely you can find him there. And um, yeah, really quick, super fast housekeeping again. If, if you're new to my show, it's really sort of talking about social media and the impact it's having on our lives and the way we communicate. And I think it's having a pretty dramatic impact. Unfortunately, I I think it's pretty negative impact. I just, I don't think we're really thinking for ourselves much anymore or focusing on our lives and we're so distracted now. So I really have created the show to sort of talk about that with artists, musicians, and people that I just think have an interesting take on the world. So this article came out about me in Los Angeles in Voyage LA magazine. So if you really want to get a glimpse as to sort of what I'm about, definitely check that article out because I think it really does a good job of telling sort of my story and where I'm coming from, voyagela.com. And I did just publish my Patreon this past week, patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. Just so many things going on with the podcast, writing music. I really have been making a lot of headway the last couple weeks with my book. My first draft, I can, I can seriously say, was really lacking. And so I took a month off, and the second draft is really coming along. So there's just a lot of creative pursuits happening in my world. And so I created a Patreon to sort of get people involved and to 
share a little bit more about my creative process. So anyway, that's it for this week. Moving on to the interview with Matt. Again, Dairy at Dairy Speaks on Twitter. Really great guy. Really fun conversation about sports and social media. So I really hope you enjoy this week's show. If you dig the show, please write a review on iTunes. That stuff really helps out a lot. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Um, first yes. of all, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. This Are we is, on? We're on. By the way, this isn't live. Like, my podcasts aren't live. I, I edit them. I make them. Uh, you're going to actually sound like a woman by the time I'm done editing this thing, so it'll be perfect. What? Don't do that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, I, you know, the podcast is about how fucked up social media and Instagram and how it's ruining the world and how Twitter's ruining the world. I mean, I, I kind of jest, but I'm also kind of actually serious about it all. I don't disagree. So, I think uh, it's 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 a cesspool. Unfortunately, I went through um, a few years of it. Just you know, especially being on radio and being in the public eye and dealing with trolls and everything else. It's, well, it's rough. Yeah, it's, it's rough. funny. I typed your name in. For, so, just really quickly, background. You know, yeah. Matt and I went to school together, uh, high school, and, and we could talk about for an hour about ridiculous high school stories, but we don't want to bore the listeners, so we're not going to no. do that. Yeah, that's the last thing we're going to talk about. Nor are we going to talk about Cleveland sports because that would bore the hell out of people. But I did type in, this is what's so messed up. I typed your name in Google before, you know, uh, this morning, just, just to research a little bit more, see if I could find out any interesting stuff. And... Yeah. What's so fucked up is that one of the stories like close to the top of the listing was this sort of back and forth that you and some guy, you weren't involved in the conversation, but somebody was trolling you. And the fact that there's photos of you and women like at some studio or something and some guy, some guy comes on. Uh, and is defending you and all this sort of stuff. And I'm and I'm thinking this is what's so fucked up about social media and Twitter and trolling. What's your take about it all? Well, where do I start? <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's a heck of an introduction and great research done by you, Eddie. But um, <laughs> are you being facetious? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, when you have when you have a 17 year old son and a uh, you know 15 year old stepson, and he's not he's not as much into it. And then my daughter's 14 and you're talking about, you're right. Having to have a conversation with your kids about, Hey, listen, dad's on the radio or dad's been in the public eye. Not that I care about that crap, but like, don't believe everything you read on the internet. And I've had to have that conversation, especially with my oldest. I mean, that's not what we sign up for when we become parents or, or when we, become adults, you know, and the conversations that, that you had with your parents and I was a privy privy to some of those back in the day and same when you were hanging at my house, it, it's gotten to the point now where you're right. It's, it, it's, it's a sad existence when, you know, an athlete or a, or a musical artist or, you know, that, that, that you know, I'm kind of hitting the, the Ed Cone genre, but with the athletes and, yeah, and music, okay. but to have to answer to, complete strangers who can have access to you 24 7 365 it's 
it's pretty scary. It's one thing to have great access and, and social media can, can bring people together and you can reunite with friends from college or high school or, or come across somebody or, or, or land an interview uh, through a direct message with somebody. Like I do a, a Detroit Lions podcast. That's cool and all because that's a that, that's all positive and it's a connection. But you're right. As far as the negativity and the trolling and, and putting yourself out there, it's pretty scary and dangerous. Well, I didn't mean to uh, upset, upset you. Not I, at all. I merely, but the only reason I, I'm bringing it up is that it's it's important for you to get the word out about what you're doing, whether you're a sportscaster or an artist. But the reality is, as you said, people will vomit at you on Twitter or Instagram or wherever, and you're still a human being and you still have feelings. And it's very similar to like road rage. You know, when you have this huge... 2,000 pound car that's surrounding you, it's easy for you to tell somebody to fuck off or give them the middle finger. But if you're actually standing right next to that person, you're not going to do it. And people feel comfortable as though they could tell you anything. And the reality is you still have feelings. And it and I the only reason I brought it up is that I know that you use social media and Twitter, but I am sure that you get a lot of people that say a lot of bad things on social media. And how do you do? And, and do you just know how to turn it off and ignore it? Uh, yeah, I, I've gotten better at it as of late. It's it's been a long time since I've been angry or worried or frustrated. The biggest thing for me is, and I'm a pretty private guy that that is in the public eye a little bit in Detroit. I'm not on the air anymore regularly. I'm teaching at a Jesuit high school, journalism and, and communications and media. It's my third year there. And so I can pass along these types of real life situations and lessons to the guys. You know, I got seniors that, oh, Mr. Derry, did you see that tweet about this, this and this? Or, oh, my gosh, isn't that hilarious? And I'm going, no, it's not funny. That person has a family or and so there's there's lessons that you can teach. And you try to tell the guys, hey, listen, I know you're on Instagram, but be very careful what you put in writing, hmm. because if you're looking for a job in the next four or five years, and somebody types in Google, Google's that person's name and comes up with some Instagram story where they're doing a keg stand as a junior in high school, they might not get the job. So I think you bring up a lot of good points about it, that it's, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty invasive. It's pretty, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's just a crazy crazy world that we're in right now. I mean, the fact that the president of the United States can, you know, there's this one chapter in my speak up book that I teach uh, for to my sophomores 21st century media and communications about you know it, one of the things you don't do in public speaking is take per, is personally attack people hmm. and now that the president and I don't want to get political on you no we won't but, yeah, now, but... but now the president on a daily basis hops on social media to take to, to call people you know uh, names and, and Pocahontas and all this shit it's disgusting. Yeah. So if the president, who has a, a ma- is an immense following, he got elected, can do that, what kind of lesson is that sending to kids and to people about just human decency? It's it's really sad. Well, let me ask you because I got the sense when I looked at you online that you're really not working currently as a sportscaster, but you do have a podcast where you're talking about the Detroit Lions. Is that accurate? Yeah, I've got three. We're, I'm doing three podcasts. You're doing three, right now. but is there a reason? Why, is part of the reason why you're not 
working with some of the radio stations because it just got to a point where it was just exhausting. It was difficult to deal with. Or, I mean, I don't want to get too personal here, but uh, oh. do you feel is part of the reason, because I also saw that you're a motivational speaker now, is part of the reason why you've sort of made this transition was because it just became really exhausting to deal with. Um, well, I mean, part of it too was I got fired. I mean, first okay. time ever, first time ever uh, let go. I mean, you remember at eight, when I was at WHK in 94, uh-huh. 90, uh, we all got fired. The station got sold and we all got fired. That was Les Levine and Ron Brynus. Right. Rizzo, me, Dan McDowell is now in Dallas. So we had a pretty good, a fun thing going. It wasn't a great station. And at the time, KNR was first guy in. So we were kind of a little guy. But so that was really, but this, this last time in 2016, no, it, it got to the point where it was like, there's nothing for me in, in Detroit. My wife, and my stepson, they, they don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. So I took this teaching job, but I'm still doing some stuff, you know, in Cleveland. And I fill in at 92.3 The Fan. I filled in here. It's more of a fill-in thing. It's it's more of a more of an opportunity. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say it's because of social media that I've been driven right. out. No, I don't think okay. that's true. But I do enjoy if I'm doing the Lions podcast. I'm working for the Pistons again, doing their weekly show online. It's a podcast. My brother and I are doing this Dairy Brothers right. Tribe cast. Yes, yes. And what's good about that is we can do the show and just do it for 40 minutes or a half hour and not and maybe there will be one day where I go hey let's let's open it up for Twitter and we'll take Twitter questions. And sure there's going to be some people Tigers fans especially here in Detroit through oh no one wants to hear about the tribe fuck them you know and that, that's whatever that's Cleveland Detroit. Right. But if it gets personal or something like that the block button the mute button you just go forward. When you were doing radio and you relied on phone callers and you weren't sure who was on the other end of the line and if they were able to get through and say something and you dumped it, but yeah, it affects you a little bit sometimes if if that happens. But as far as social media, seeing that you know instantaneously, um, it, it's pretty it's pretty wild. So and, uh, what what are you teaching right What are you teaching right now in class um, at, at this high school? And then are you giving them why were you giving those kids advice about social media? Give me a little background about what you're teaching right now. Well, well, the the, the program, the, the sophomore, it's a required class for sophomores called 21st Century Media and Cultural Communications, which basically it used to be a speech class. The guy that was there before me, a guy by the name of Sam Evalt, who's amazing, renamed the class, kind of restructured about how communications and culture have changed. Wow. Uh, you introduce social media, you introduce product placement and advertising. We do a, an informative speech. We do a persuasive speech. We do impromptu speeches throughout the semester. We do a culminating project where you build a website, you do some speeches, you do radio and TV ads. So it's all of that and, that and public speaking. So a part of the lessons uh, through this one other book that we use is the, the, birth, the birth of social media, how it's used, how news breaks there now, and those types of things. So that is when I got into the whole Twitter thing about how social media has changed the game with, with, with breaking news and with coverage, uh, yes, I got into a little bit of self-evaluation you know, evaluation and self-reflection of, oh, and by the way, your teacher three years ago you know, or 10 years ago or whatever it was, was viciously attacked by this guy or by this woman or you know, on social media. And, and guys, pull the, guys aren't stupid. They pull up my name like you did on Google and go, hey, Mr. Derry, what happened? Uh, who's this thing? And who... And you deal with it and you tell them, hey, look, you, you got to be careful. You can't fire back. 
Um, right. And that's, so that's well, that's, that's what's you know, that's what goes on. That's what's so, but that's what's so challenging now is that people pick fights online, and you have to be the the better person and not say anything, but you still have feelings. Then other people are going to bring it up, and that's and people love to sort of there's this sort of tribalism that's going on oh, in our yeah, culture where sure. people love to jump on board and it's exciting to see a fight online and people get involved and it becomes so toxic. And yeah, I just think as a sportscaster when you were in Detroit and I sometimes I feel like in these small cities too it can it can erupt. It's sort of like there's not much going on in the news and people love the attention and they sort of create these firestorms. We, we, we would do some topics on the air and we'd get some tweets back. Like we'd put out, you know, all right, we're going to bring up Matthew Stafford. And is he a top 10 quarterback? And is he elite, an elite quarterback? And I'd get on and I'd say he's not. I'd say he's <laughs> right. good. He's average. I like him. Don't love him. Not elite. So people start tweeting into the show and maybe we had one or two phone calls on at the station I, w- I worked at here the, the last time. I've worked at all three big ones here in terms of sports. The last one I worked at sucked. So... We would get two phone calls, but we get like 10 tweets. So my producer would go, oh, the tweets are coming in. I'm like, dude, Twitter's like 4% of the audience. Yeah. You know, we're on, we're on the radio. If people aren't calling, if people aren't texting in, just because we put it on Twitter and there's 10, 15 tweets, what really percentage is that? You know, when Kyrie Irving gets pissed because he's tired of getting attacked on social media, how many of the Celtics fans are on Twitter? How many season ticket holders are... We think, you and me, because we're a part of that age group and people younger than us. We're getting old, by the way, Eddie. I know. Um, what percentage of Celtic season ticket holders that go to these games and really love Kyrie Irving are on Twitter during the game attacking him when he airballed a game-tying shot? It's a very small portion, but the guys that really take it personally and are like, oh, gosh, I got 15 mean tweets in a row – Think about the percentage. It's so small. Well, yes, I don't know, though. I don't know if it's that small because I, I argue that I feel like people, more and more people are spending their time staring at Instagram or Twitter or Facebook than they are actually having a, a real life. And I do, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I want to think that there's a vast majority of people that aren't, twi- that are not on Twitter. They're just reading about the Boston Celtics through the Tribune or, or the Globe. But I get this, I get the sense that it's shifting and more and more people are spending their time on Instagram and Twitter. I definitely think Instagram, when we're talking, we just happen to bring up the NBA, I, I think Instagram is is huge for the league. And the fact that the NBA allows their highlights to go out there, I don't know, I don't know I'm not on Instagram, but I know my son is, and, and he follows this uh, house of highlights. Right. So when you and I were kids, we had to wait until 1120 when Channel 5, Channel 3, or Channel 8 showed the highlights. We go to games and wait for the highlights at 1130. Now you can get them instantaneously. So if a guy gets dunked on... Two minutes later, it's on House of Highlights on on Instagram, right? And he and it's viral. Well, so and I want to be that. That's how things have changed, certainly for social media from a media perspective. Well, I don't want to be. I want to be clear though. This is not, you know, this isn't some guy like you know my my mother or dad or somebody would be like, oh, well, remember when we went to school? We could we didn't take the bus. We had to walk right, uphill. Right. You know, that's not my angle here. My sure. angle is is that I do think 
the culture, the society, people are killing themselves because they don't they didn't get enough likes on Instagram. And then I, I want to talk about Magic Johnson today because you know, he stepped down as the I also want to talk about Russell Westbrook and I want to talk about Kyle Korver. There is going to be a bit of a sports angle here today just because first of all, you love sports and a lot of people don't know that I love sports. Um, but you know, you you're a sports or you were a sportscaster uh, in Detroit and you're still doing a sports related podcast, but I do find it interesting, you know, Magic Johnson stepped down as the president of the Lakers. And what's so amazing to me is he didn't tell Jeannie personally before he quit. He, he walks over to the podium in El Segundo and just basically doesn't even say, hey, I'm going to have a press conference in a half hour. He just walks over there and starts talking. And he... To me, that whole situation represents what's so fucked up with the way that we communicate now. He didn't communicate to Jeannie first and say, hey, you know, this isn't working out. I'm stepping down. He actually vomited it all over Twitter or or with the press first. Well, it got it got to Twitter. Let, let's say let's put let's put on our, our, our Jeannie bus shoes for a second. Put ourselves in her shoes from yesterday. Let's say she was on a call with her brother or friends or whatever. And she hops on Twitter like you and I do, like everybody does. Well, not everybody, but, but a good number of people do. And you're right. She refreshes her Twitter, and there's Dave McMenamin from yes. ESPN LA saying, Magic Johnson's uh, impromptu presser just announced he's, he's uh, stepping down, or Adrian Wojnarowski, or any of these people. She's probably going, wait, what? <laughs> what the fuck? Yes. Right. I own the team. I put him in this position. So now she's having to refresh Twitter or even – and there's guys all the time that they grab their phones and immediately start recording and go live on Twitter. So she could have been watching that live. She may have turned on NBA TV, whatever it is. But you're right. The day, of, the day and age of I'm going to be respectful to somebody and give them a call and tell them that I'm stepping down from a job that they hired me to do or I'm going to call somebody and, and send some condolences on the loss of a family member. But instead, all these people are fucking going online and going, oh, thoughts and prayers. Why don't you pick up the phone and call somebody? I know. Or, or drive over to their office and look them in the eye and say, thanks for this opportunity. I'm moving on. And then he openly admits, you're right, 20 minutes later, I, I, I couldn't face her. It was too difficult. So forget social media for a second. Just manners in talking to the press that are there knowing full well that the game is these guys aren't going to wait until the presser's over to then hop on their social media. They're going on right away. There are teams right now, and I'm trying to remember the team, the Denver Broncos, somebody recently might have been, oh gosh, might have been the Mets. I'm trying to think of the team. That just, okay. No, the Phillies. The Phillies, I think, just put a rule in that you cannot live tweet from the, from the locker room. So if you go in after a game to cover a Phillies game and they lose – you can't be live tweeting quotes. You've got to get the quotes, then go outside of the locker room, and then put it out there. Right. So you're right. We're in this 24. We're in this fast food society where Grubhub, get our food at home, whatever it is. I mean, but now, but now you're right. Magic's comments were out there so quickly that didn't even get an opportunity to tell the person that hired him that he was believing. And part of me, you know, and you can speak to this as a sportscaster. It feels to me, first of all, there's two things that I can't stand that are going on. The sources say, 
I can't stand like Colin Cowherd and and uh, Jim Rome or whomever will always say, well, sources say, and to me, it almost gives them liberty to, or Chris Broussard all the time. You know, sources say that LeBron James. But, uh, yeah, but but Chris is pretty locked in. Chris is I, good. But I've I, known Chris. I've known Chris twenty years. He, but I do get the sense that they're they're hiding behind the sources say so that they can say whatever that they want to create right and if, that it, right and if they're wrong, well then their source was wrong and they don't have right. any and they don't have anything to worry about. And I'm only I just feel like sportscasters though are doing it also. They're doing whatever they can to a be the first to break the story or two to create a story so that they can get attention. And I just think well, there's some sick but irony there. But, but let's let's uh, let's define sportscaster and reporter okay. or enter or entertainer. Interesting. Colin, Colin Coward's an entertainer. That's fair. Colin, Colin Coward is not a reporter. Well, what's so what's Dave think, McMenamin then? What is he? What is he a reporter? Oh, I would say Dave McMenamin is absolutely a reporter. Got his degree from Syracuse. Is a writer can can put a column together and in, in or a piece together a feature in ten Interesting. minutes. Because you're right. I guess Dave, he never really does the sources say thing. The entertainer Colin Cowherd typically does that. And he, if he's wrong, he can he has an out by saying my sources say. Well, well, or or for entertainment purposes, if Colin's going all right, it's a slow news day. And you're right. A lot of these guys are based out of L.A. And I watch some of these shows on Fox. I mean, FS1, every day there's a LeBron story. That's every crazy. day. All they talk about is LeBron. He's he's page one and page two. So, But that's what sells. That's what people want to watch. That's what gets ratings. That's what get, gets clicks. So if Colin says, hey, I'm out here in L.A. And I talked to a source that says there's a lot of guys in that locker room that aren't real happy with him. That it sounds more legitimate than if you say, "I've heard" or "I think I've yes, heard." Yes, you're right. When you get Broussard on there, who goes, "You know what? I've got a journalistic background," or, or, or a McMenamin, like you said, there is a difference. And for guys that have to cover the team, uh, so Dave, I guess, is covering the Lakers again. Right. right. Uh, I don't remember some of the guys off the top of my head. Uh, you know, it, it's tough. A guy like George Sedano. Okay, I don't know if you know George. No. Uh, George is a, George is a friend. George is. The afternoon guy at ESPN LA, but he also does sideline reporting for ESPN uh, TV when it comes to the NBA. George has got to balance, all right, I'm working for the network that has the rights, but I'm also having to entertain my audience when he does the afternoon show, right? When I covered the Pistons for 11 years doing pre-half and post-game, they paid me to do the pre-game show and the post-game show. When I had sources, good ones from the front office telling me some of these guys are dicking around. I would never say I talked to sources in the front office <laughs> right. because they're the ones paying me. So I had to kind of finesse it a certain way, and it was hard to do sometimes. What's going on now because of Instagram and social media and Twitter and people getting attention and wanting to make dollars and the pressure, how do we know what's true anymore? You know, I, I think everybody's just sort of trying to create a story, trying to create attention, trying to get more followers or get people to pay attention to them that I that's what's so scary now and I, I wonder what you tell your students um, and even your kids you know what where do you go for the truth you know what do you pay attention I, to I do a couple of lessons in journalism class where I literally go through especially local papers Detroit Free Press and Detroit News and to be quite honest with you I think 
especially the I think the I think the Detroit news is 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 awful. And so what I will do is, you know, they'll have a story in there where it's like a source says this, or people close to the situation tell us this. And I know the story because either I know the athlete or I know the uh, the person, whoever the person is that's the subject of the story. And I say to the guys, I pa- I make 24 copies of it. I pass it out to the guys, and I go, here's a poor example today of, of, of journalism. Right. And then th- and then I'll say, read it, and then let's react. So they'll read it, and then I'll go, all right, what 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 did you not like about the story? And they'll go, and they'll raise their hand and go, oh, Mr. Derry, uh, he he speculates that. This and like there'll be something in the story that says his wife likes it here in Detroit. And so I go, is there a quote from the wife? Is there a source or, or somebody close to the wife that tells them? No. So how does this reporter know that the wife likes it here? That's all speculation and innuendo. So I'm teaching the guys, if you don't know something or you want to get a quote, go talk to somebody. Yeah. And they'll either say no comment, but at least you can put in there, we attempted to get a hold of the athletic director about this uh, rumor, he had no comment. Okay, but these people that are just, you know, in the local papers that are saying, you know, uh, reports say or speculation or or they just say it without a source, that's a good teaching tool for the guys to go, still go out and make that phone call to try to find if the story is right or wrong or get a quote from somebody. Yeah. There's, story, there's stories that have been printed all the time in the local papers without a quote in it. How do you not have a quote in there? Now, I know that some are like a, a game story, the Lions lose on a Sunday and you got to put a game story through and the Lions beat writers are very good. It's a good group of guys and they're good reporters. So they have to put a game story in first. But then that second story has quotes in it. There's too many stories now without quotes, without checking with either side and it's all just speculation. You're right, if Colin gets on and says, I've heard that there's guys in the locker room that don't like LeBron, maybe one of those players is driving home Calls the producer of the show and goes, hey, I'm right here. You want to ask me? Right. Now, most of the time the players are told by the teams, don't bother, don't, don't. But, but they might be in their car laughing going, gosh, this is so off base. But they can't, they don't want to re- react or respond to it on Twitter. They just leave it alone. It's more entertainment than anything else. So I want to also talk about Russell Westbrook because it sort of led to Kyle Korver. Did you read the Kyle Korver article? Do you have? Any? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, I think if you don't know, not you, Matt. You obviously know. And the reason why I tie all this together: social media, Instagram gives people the feeling that they can say or do whatever the f they want to do. They just it it. Right. It's yeah. It's really because there are no consequences. The irony is, is that. Facebook has cre- you know, created this platform years ago. They created all these games, Words with Friends and, and all those stupid fucking games. You, you know, your <laughs> friend. They created all of that because they're addicting. Sure. And they did it to get more and more people on the platform. Then they come up. I personally think they bought Instagram because their video game, the playing was going down. Because these games now on the PS4... And the Xbox are be, are so sophisticated now that the games on Insta, uh, on Facebook just can't compete with them. So they bought Facebook or they bought Instagram because they know that visually speaking, human beings you can't top the visual. 
nothing will excite the human brain more than the visual. So they buy Instagram. So there's this, this is my point. So Facebook is doing whatever they can to, manipul to manipulate people to get on the platform. They start with the games, they move on to Instagram, they add, uh, add the circle, everything that on Instagram is to manipulate you to stay on there. So they've got this platform now where people are just doing whatever the hell they want. There's there's nobody that's policing Facebook. And Instagram says that they, you know, oh, they have people on there that get rid of the trolls. It's bullshit because although I could call you terrible names, eventually they may block my account. They're not blocking all the accounts where people are pretending to be Superman. They're pretending sure. to be Wonder Woman. They're pretending to have the answers to everything. They're pretending to have right. perfect lives. So basically... Right. We are all manipulated into thinking that you can just do whatever the hell that you want. And so why I think this leads to then real life, you, it leads to people in Utah, the fans, really at any sporting event, but I'll just bring up Russell Westbrook in Utah because it just recently happened. People think they can just fucking say and do whatever they want to these professional athletes. They think they can do whatever they want on Facebook and Instagram without consequences, just like those assholes that, you know, troll you in Detroit and think that they can just say whatever they want because they're not in the same room with you. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same analogy, road rage, people yelling in their car, fans yelling at Russell Westbrook and calling him bad names. People think they can do whatever the hell they want to do. And it's funny, but Adam Silver talked about how player person, you know, players are getting affected by social media. He talked about it maybe a few weeks ago. Adam Silver is the president or something of the of the NBA, um, I, or the commissioner. The commissioner. The commissioner. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you feel as though this is a real problem that's going on, where pe players are getting hounded and trolled, depressed? Is, is social media affecting the mood? Is it affecting the fan player relationship? I mean, what's going on? Oh, I, I definitely think things have changed because, you know, when we went to games at the old Coliseum back in the day and everything, I mean, we idolized these guys. And I get, obviously we were kids and we were younger, but now you're right. The game has changed. Uh, you can get access to these players via social media, whether you follow them or not. Twitter, some players will respond, which, you know, makes absolutely no sense because I wouldn't if I was in that position. I think Adam Silver's right. I think there are some guys that are definitely depressed and, and are scrolling through. Hmm. I've, ta I've talked to some players that have told me at halftime of games they grab their phones and are looking through this stuff. Like, what are you doing? So Why? they're literally Why? grabbing their phone during halftime looking at stuff. Yes. Wow. 100%. And right. What? So, you know, I mean, let, let's say you got a halftime of a playoff game and there's a presentation or something. Those halftimes go longer. Uh, the Super Bowl halftime. Yeah. So, I mean, guys are sitting in there for an hour. So, I don't think Belichick's talking for a fucking hour. You know what I'm saying? So, some teams have hired consultants and psychologists, sports <laughs> psychologists, social media psychologists that are Ugh. working with the players to say, look, put the phone down, lock it in a safe place, give it to an assistant coach, give it to a ball boy, whatever it is, to stay off of that stuff because you're right, it is addicting. As far as Russell Westbrook in Utah, you know, think about think about where some of these uh, uh, NBA cities, or think about where some of these teams reside. They reside in places where it's the only game in town. Sacramento Kings fans love the Kings. 
Right. Blazers fans love the Blazers. Jazz fans love the Jazz. Spurs fans love San Antonio Spurs. Why? Because that's all they got. So for 80, for 41 nights a year, if you're a season ticket holder, and you can get to all those 41 or 35 or 30, you're so into the team. And this Jazz fan racist pig is so into it that, you know, there's Westbrook and fans are literally four or five feet from him. Yeah. It's not like in the NFL where you're far away and they got helmets on. You can't you can stand in the first row in the lower bowl and try and scream and, and you know, dog pound in Cleveland. You you could attempt it. They're probably not gonna hear much. But basketball, I think just, about it. Yeah. I mean they're they're right there. I was at the malice at the palace, Eddie. <laughs> I, I was I, I you go back and watch the video, you can see me standing there. Yeah. I, I mean it was scary shit when you know our test is in the crowd and it's dead silent and all you hear is shrieking and you can hear fist you know fist hitting face because everybody was so stunned that a player was up in the stands yeah and we thought we had gotten past that and they had chained down all the courtside seats and they had added more security but now to me when and here's the other problem the guy that was harassing westbrook well i believe he was kicked out of the arena or moved but Within an hour, I saw an interview with him on a local station because these TV stations are going, okay, how can we get the story? How can we get this guy on camera and where, how quickly can we put it out on our social media to get the clicks to get, I mean, that thing was retweeted millions, thousands of times. Here's the guy that was yelling at Westbrook. That's what this has turned into. And and is that journalism or is that just hopping on opportunity? But it's gross. if I was working for that TV station and my boss said, go get the guy, I'd be like, no, I don't want to talk to that racist bitch. Yeah. You know, but, but they did. They did. There was something that just happened recently, shit, where somebody messed up and people went, oh, it was the field goal kicker. The field goal kicker for some right, playoff. For the Bears. For the Bears. The Bears. Cody, yes. Cody Park. Cody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this field goal kicker, this is what's so great. This field goal kicker for the Bears <laughs> has a chance to win the game. And... I guess he missed quite a bit of field goals throughout the year, yeah. but he ends up missing this field goal that could have taken the Bears to go to the Super Bowl or somewhere, just in the Second next round. round. Right, Second, right. Round. Second round. But you know yeah. how insane Bears fans are. They're insane. Sure. So I go on to Twitter that day, I think because your brother Todd actually responded to some of this stuff. What the thing, what people, people basically, not basically, told him to fuck off, said yep. shit about his family and his kids, called him an asshole. Like one tweet after another people are telling this guy to fuck off and i'm not even like right right like he was attempting or trying to fail you know i mean my god that's the beauty of baseball you could fail seven out of ten times and hit 300 and be and make a lot of money if you and i if you and i failed at our job seven out of every ten times we'd be gone so you're right this poor guy it's not like cody park you went out there and said you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go wide left right here watch this (laughs) he was trying to make it he did the best he could Getting on social media right after the game and seeing and looking at your mentions, that's got to be torture for somebody like that. And now, you know, now he's out of a job and uh, the Bears got rid of him because it is a business. But he's also say, he's also a drug addict now, too. No, I'm kidding. Oh, geez, <laughs> <Eddie>. <laughs> no, but, but my point is, is that after dealing with that, but imagine getting just knowing that that many people think that you're a scumbag because you kicked the ball and missed your field goal. It's just it's it crazy. Is. It is crazy. And the access that we get, while I said before, while it's pretty cool and you can get a hold of people and you can uh, reach out to somebody for a good purpose or a good cause or uh, the Dwayne Wade Budweiser commercial that came out last night where they they brought out four or five people 
in the commercial that Wade had, had touched throughout his years in Miami with charitable stuff. I'm assuming that maybe the Budweiser said, all right, we got to get a hold of some of these people. Maybe a search on social to find them. And then that gets, gets the ball rolling. That would be for a nice cause. But for the attacking people, abusing people, and you're right. One thing I teach in my class is there's such a thing as a gatekeeper, meaning hmm. who are the gatekeepers at a TV station? Well, it's an executive producer that gets filmed back from uh, a crash on the highway where the, the, the camera guy gets right in there and you see half a, half a guy's face is, cut, is gone and there's blood seeping everywhere because it was a crash. The gatekeeper, the executive producer says, uh-uh, I'm going to be the, 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 gate, the, the keeper of this gate here and not put that on television because we have some viewers that we think will gross out. Well, who are they? who's a gatekeeper of social media? Mostly it's yourself. You've got to police yourself and go, do I hit send here? Because if I hit send here, what if my boss sees it? Or what if my family members see it? So unless you're right, you report somebody or it gets to that point, mostly the gatekeepers, you got to be your, your own police person, well, I guess, you, when it comes to that. You brought stuff. up an interesting point. I think people are terrified to tell the truth. I think people are terrified to say how they actually feel. And people are terrified to come on my show and talk about social media because everybody's contributing to it. Everybody is pretending to be something. Everybody isn't really telling the truth. And I think the people that I value the most are doing the best they can to be themselves on social media. Uh, They're not looking to be perfect all the time. They're not looking to have this certain persona that they think people are going to like. It's and I think it's actually why I there's I think that's why there's so much anger and frustration when people have the opportunity opportunity to explode or vomit venomous shit on something that happened. They just can't wait to do it because deep down underneath it all, there's still racism and anger and frustration and people don't know what to do with it. And then Instagram and social media is just making it worse because all these people out there just seemingly seem to have happy, perfect lives and it's just pissing people off. For sure. And unfortunately too, when people don't have a life or when people have minimal friends, minimal family, their release can be social media. Uh, uh, one of my students told me about an aunt that they had, I would say it was a couple of years ago, that, that she was addicted to Facebook comments, that she just would read every news story and her release, her every day, I guess she had lost her husband, but she had inherited some money, she didn't have to work, and she basically sat at home all day and, and scrolled through Facebook and followed certain sites, whether she was a, a Fox News person or CNN or, or local news, and she would just hop on there and comment, and that was her activity for the day. That was what made her feel better to both say positive things about something in a story or say negative things about a story. But put yourself out there and then maybe getting into a back and forth with somebody. And the next thing you know, how scary could it be if that somebody shows up at your door and says, hey, are you uh, are you Linda? You want to say that to my face now about what you said about Trump or what you said about yeah. Obama? And it's like, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. This, this, really, this shit just got real. I want to talk about one thing, current event, and sort of what we're talking about and what your experience was as, an, as a sportscaster. And then just I'll end up just on a personal place just um, asking you some specifics about social media so Kyle in response to 
what happened with Russell Westbrook. Kyle Korver wrote this, I thought, pretty powerful, well-written piece about racism and in the NBA, and, and, and the NBA is primarily 75% African-American and, and how he feels being Caucasian when a lot of the problems that, that, are, that are happening, racially speaking, in the NBA are Caucasians, primarily men, yelling racial epithets at, at the players. And it's, as a sportscaster, as, as a writer, um, when you were covering the Pistons, did you get the sense that there was a lot of fear and a lot of racially charged banter going on at games? Um, did players talk about it ever? Or Because the only reason I'm, I'm even asking this question is because I, you know, I just think we're not talking about this kind of stuff. This is a thing, as, and I say this a lot on my podcast, gun violence is worse than it's ever been. I don't think it's ever going to change. Oh, yeah. It's not going to change because people primarily just care about themselves or their social media following, or they just don't want to talk about it because then they're worried about the repercussions of, of what their feelings may produce in their life. So I just want to know, when you were covering the teams in, in Detroit, is it worse than we think it is, or is it there? Is it sort of this sort of hidden thing that nobody really wants to talk about? Um, I think that it's, you know, I, I think it's 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 bad. It's funny the Pistons just moved downtown, and so many people say, well, the NBA is a city game, so the Pistons shouldn't be playing in Auburn Hills at a very nice facility that that the owner owns. They actually I didn't have know moved. That. Okay, this is their second year as a renter at the Red Wings Arena, and. I went to a game the other night, and, and I have not been to a lot of games, but I, I went. I took my son to the Pacers-Pistons game the other night because he's an Indiana fan, and we sat upstairs, actually, and it was majority, at least, of the upper deck was African-American, and, you know, going to games for years at the Palace and covering games for years at the Palace, it was, it was mostly white up in the suburbs in terms of the faces you saw in the crowd. Right. I think when teams are winning and when players are integrated in communities and all on board i don't think it's as bad as if like you said with westbrook kind of being this i don't think westbrook's combative i think he puts out a combative uh, aura about himself but i think the mix of lily white salt lake city right and and russ kind of being this roughneck african-american player that by the way, is as good as any player in the league and is not a bad guy at all, but he kind of, when he's on the court, he's got that face. He's, he's so emotional. He, he is. He's mean. He loves the game. And and I love the guy. The guy's staying in Oklahoma City forever. I mean, how about that? He's not jumping ship like all these other guys to bigger markets. But I think when you got a mix, like I said earlier, of jazz fans who, the Utah Jazz is there, they're everything. They don't have a professional baseball team. They don't have a professional football team. So I think that that sometimes is 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 the bad mix for one night. But you're right. Why do you not use Instagram? And then why are you you use why is it Twitter that you use? You and your brother use it. Like your brother is obsessed with Twitter, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he is. He is. With Instagram, with posting pictures, I don't know why I never got into it. Like I said, you know, my kids are on it. Uh, my wife occasionally, 
I don't know why I'm not on there. I uh, I just find Twitter to be the place to get my information, uh, breaking news. Now you, you know, used it. You used it a lot more when you were working uh, in as a sportscaster, right? Yeah, when I was working in radio, and yes, absolutely, I would set up top. You know, I would put topics out there and say, "Hey, you know, join us today uh, at noon. We're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about that." So I used it as promotion. I still post my Locked On Lions podcast on there. The Pistons post my 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 Pistons show on there. We post our Tribe show on there. So now, are you employed by the, or is this because of your following and, and your fans? You know, the people are going to listen to your podcast because of of who you were or who you are. The, the Lions podcast is run by a network called the Locked On Podcast Network. They've got all NFL teams, all NBA teams. They've added some baseball. The guy that runs it, David Locke, is actually the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. So he contacted me when he started the network and said, I want you to be my Lions guy. So, and I like David, and I'm like, sure. So, you know, advertising, sales, and everything else, I get a, a cut of. And so that's pretty cool, and I like doing it. I've done it for, I'll be entering my fourth season, I think, doing it with them. Uh, the Pistons one, that was one where the team contacted me and said, we want to bring our podcast back. We want you to do it. I'm like, okay. And then the Indians one, we just started on our own, but we do it through waitingfornextyear.com, which is a Cleveland Indian-based right. yeah, the, sports sports mm-hmm. blog site. So all three, I've got a connection with people. So, um, but yeah, so Twitter I use, I, I don't know. I, Eddie, that's a good question. I mean, are you more on Instagram than, than Twitter, right? Isn't that correct? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I use, I use both. I, 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 have gotten to a point now where I I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, but I have gotten to the point now where I pretty much just post whatever I want to post, whether it's the podcast or I just was in a magazine in LA or like an article in Los Angeles that I'm in. I That's great. don't really consume much on either of those platforms anymore. So Twitter is sort of like the negative world. Instagram yeah is the positive world where everybody's just I, having a great time. I, I happen to think that that's very true. And with Instagram too, it's very easy to throw a selfie up there or me and my friends are somewhere. So we're going to take a picture and post it. And I think it is a happier place. Twitter seems to be the place where you can vent and it's just a reflection too of the news society that we're in. You know, I've taught my journalism guys negative, unfortunately sells. If we had a kid at our school a couple of years ago that got hit by a car on the side of the road and lost his leg, he was trying to help save somebody else from a car. And it was an unbelievable story. And he got put on the, on the front page of the paper, and he was the lead story sometimes. And it was a positive story because he tried to do a positive thing. But unfortunately, some of the days where he won an award, it wasn't the lead story. Why? Because there wasn't, you know, it, it yeah. didn't bleed, so it didn't lead. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. Huge car crash, blood and guts everywhere on the side of the road. Well, why didn't the story about the guy that gave a homeless man 20 bucks and hired him uh, at the McDonald's and, and, and got him a shower, got him a haircut, and, and took him in, and now this guy's off his feet? How come that doesn't lead? Because it's not something that's talked about. The negative is what sells and what is getting people talking. When Steph Curry goes for 50 uh, in a game, oh, my gosh, Steph Curry dropped 50. It's great. Yeah. But when Steph Curry yells back at a fan and the fan says, oh, I got viciously attacked by Curry, then it becomes a big story. The negative is unfortunately what sells. And it's not why I'm on Twitter. I'm on there mostly for information and, you know, and breaking news and 
you know, if I'm if I if I'm away from the TV and I can't see a tribe game, or I'm away from yeah. a game that's going on. The other night, the Virginia Texas Tech game was on. My wife and I were doing some stuff. I couldn't turn it on, so I was kind of following it on Twitter. And enough people post the score, and enough people say what's going on that I had an idea of what was happening I in think, the game. I think all these. Well, I mean, I do think Facebook has bad intentions in the sense that I think that they're. They know exactly what they're doing to get people on the platform. But I don't think Instagram in itself is, you know, a bad thing. And Twitter in itself, as you're saying, it's a great place to get lots of information. Sure. No, it is. But I think it's almost like human nature doesn't. Human nature, human beings don't know how to handle all this onslaught of information. And you say Twitter's negative and Instagram's positive. The irony is it's, there's studies now coming out where if you spend like an hour, hour and a half on Instagram looking at nothing but pretty selfies and pictures and people are manipulating the photos with filters to make their skin and their body look as good as possible, the irony is you people are getting depressed by looking at the happy, perfect world of Instagram and people are getting angry and depressed because people are yelling at each other all day on Twitter. So. As a parent, as a teacher, what is your advice? What are you telling your kids? What are you telling students how to manage the insanity of social media? I'm not telling them not to be on it. I'm not doing that. But what I am telling them is you got to be very careful what you put in writing, whose feelings you could hurt. If one tweet that you think is semi-negative or semi-personal, it could hurt you down the road. I think anybody can type in anybody's name and, and do some background on them. And these kids, whether it's my son who's a junior in high school or the kids that I'm teaching, they're going for a scholarship and it's between this kid and a kid at, at, a, at a Jesuit school in Chicago. Who knows? They, these, these people that are making that decision may say, all right, these, these two candidates are dead even. So you know what? Let's, let's go on our Twitter or on some Twitter, type in the kids' names and see what we come up with. And if they find a little blemish, that could affect somebody's life. So I'm telling guys to just be careful. Be careful what you put in writing. Be careful what you're putting out there. What what, tweet, what tweets you're liking, you know, retweeting, because it could come back to haunt you and bite you. And and it's really the, the biggest advice that I can give them, for sure. It's like these platforms are giving people the ability to share their opinions which is which is great. I mean, I, I'm doing it with a podcast. You do it with a podcast, but sure, it's a free country, First Amendment. Yeah, and I think it's a great tool, and, and I I love it, and I'm sure you and Todd love it, and yeah, it's just making me. You know, words just words can words have power. Words have words have power to affect people's feelings, and I think no doubt, no question. Um, I guess I'm I'm caught in this sort of conundrum where I want to communicate my feelings. I don't want to hurt people's feelings, of course, but I do think somebody needs to start and people are, I mean, Kara Swisher is a, a big time writer. Don't worry, we're almost done. Kara Swisher is a big time writer okay. um, out of Silicon Valley. And she's really sort of going after the creators of these huge platforms because she's, she's from DC. People will actually pay attention to her. I just think these are important conversations to have because I think yeah. people are treating these social media platforms in a way where um, we just don't think there's consequences, but I, I think there are. And um, well, hold on, you're yeah. you're a smart guy. You're a smart guy, and so you believe there's consequences. I know there's consequences. 
unfortunately, like you said, because the the lack of gatekeepers and the lack of rules, people think they can get away with this stuff. And when you've got the leader of the country doing that as well a little bit and hopping on Twitter and taking personal shots, it makes it seem like it's okay. But in reality, it isn't. And until it affects somebody personally where they could lose out on a job, they could lose out on an opportunity based on a tweet that they put out three, four years ago and now have to apologize for, then it affects them and then they, they scale back. But that's it's not everybody. So, you know, anybody can hop on right now and start an account and have an egg as their picture and, and attack people and it would make them feel better, but it doesn't make it right. Dairy, Dairy Speaks on Twitter? Yes, Dairy Speaks, D-E-R-Y Speaks, that is correct. Okay. <laughs> um, you're not really even on Instagram. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to, you're just not on it at all. No, no, I don't have an account. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> the, the, the world needs. What about Snapchat? You on Snapchat? <laughs> I'm not, no, I, I, it's too much. It's funny. Facebook, I, I only post about my podcast and I, it sounds so selfish, but I just post my, st- you know why I don't have a problem posting about my stuff? Because I do feel like the things I'm posting, if people pay attention to them, I think it's going to make people think and it'll make them ask themselves questions like, huh, do I spend my free time staring at Instagram for 20 minutes? Could I maybe, you know, call my sister or call a friend instead of just stare at a fucking screen for 20 minutes? I, oh, I, it's, it's, I, it's so distracting. It yeah. really is. It's crazy. So Dairy Speaks on Twitter that's sort of your world if people want to reach out to you. Do you want to, I guess I'll close it, I promise I'll close it here. Do you want to get back into sports or are you liking what you're doing now? In the sense oh, that- I, I, I like what I'm doing. I just want to be happy. I'm, I'm at a point now where it's, uh, I, you know, when I was, and you remember this, when we were in high school and stuff and we would look up at the, in the upper deck at Joe Tate and I would go, that's that's where I want to be. If there's something I want to do in life, it's, it's to call games in the, Joe Tate Perch, and I had the the honor of doing that a couple of times for for Detroit teams, whether it was Pistons at, at the uh, at the Q, or I'm sorry, now I guess they renamed it the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, right. or something like that. And uh, you know, I call games in Madison Square Garden, both at Syracuse and with the Pistons when they played the Knicks. So there were some things I wanted in my bucket list that are that are done. I'm not sitting here right now, go on April 10, 2019, going. I got to get back into this. I got to be the voice of the team. Eh, that ship has kind of sailed. I, I like dabbling in it on the side, but okay. I'm doing something, you know, teaching these kids. It's uh, it's rewarding. Where's it, the, what's what's the name of the school? Uh, University of Detroit Jesuit High School and Academy. So cool. It's, uh, it's and so you're fantastic. you're there pretty much full time, or that's that's every your day. Full, yeah, that's your full time gig. It is cool. Well, Matt, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking to me. Hey, great to see you and talk to you, buddy. Anytime, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's no, it's it was a really good talk. Good stuff.